Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins, joined as always by Brandon Scott, otherwise known as B. Scott. You know, we've been talking about football for like the last like few months, and now we get to step away from that a little bit. Not that we don't, not that we you know necessarily want to, uh, but you know we've got some other things to get to. It's finally time to st- uh, talk some some auto racing. It's time to st- uh, get into the college uh, hoops side of things as we get closer to the NCAA tournament. Really excited about that. Um, here coming up here in about a month or so and then of course um, you know we've also got uh, some Pacers talk that we want to get to tonight as well so we get to step in talk about some other things going on really excited to do that B Scott but first and foremost how was your weekend man it was good it was good it was uh, pretty relaxing how about yours it was good I mean turn the big 3-0 so uh, that's always fun right. um, you know we're we're, you know, getting into another the old man club. Yep, we're getting into another decade. I've now been alive in four different decades, so that's fun. Uh, really excited to get into that. So, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's been it was it was a very fun weekend, and it was uh, also made even more special by the fact that the Daytona 500 was on my birthday this year. So that was that's true. Uh, the, was extra long. You even got to see some replays of previous races right exactly yeah i was gonna bring it up a little bit later but why does it always seem like every year there's a gigantic red flag in the daytona 500 that like it ends up being like you know at minimum it starts at like 2 30 and ends up ending at like midnight i feel like or if it doesn't you know go two or three days it feels like well it seems like back in the day the race used to get done in the daylight because if you look at a lot of pictures from the past victory lane celebrations and it's light outs right then there's several where it's dark well i mean it is florida and anytime in florida it seems like a rainstorm can just pop up about that time of day and that's exactly what happened this time just a big rain big big rainstorm popped up and just completely drenched the track now thankfully daytona does have lights and they don't care how long they have to wait at for daytona uh, now i mean obviously if it kept raining and raining they would have pushed it to today but you know just because they got a delay doesn't mean they're gonna oh it's getting dark out let's push it to tomorrow so right. i'm glad they did that though but yeah it's it's because of the rain and it, it just so happened it, they got lucky in the fact that there was a huge wreck on lap 15 that would that caused them to throw the red flag and then when they threw the red flag it started raining so <laughs> it was just kind of like Welcome to Daytona. It's just what we do here. Yeah, it, it just feels like every single year. That's because I was trying to remember. I can't remember the last time that, like, at least it doesn't come to mind very quickly uh, as far as the last Daytona 500 to end at in least, the daylight. At least this one did not go to like Tuesday or Wednesday, like it did a couple several years back when Juan Pablo Montoya caused it to get delayed another night because he decided to uh, go drifting. <laughs> in the rain and uh, run into the back of a jet dryer, which caused it to blow up. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was wild. Um, so let's go ahead and get into the recap here of the Daytona 500. Like you mentioned, B. Scott, there was a big crash on lap 15. And of course, it involves our picks to win the Daytona 500. If you saw our uh, our prediction uh, video that we put out, it, we put out that, you know, hey, you know, I thought Ryan Newman was going to win and you thought Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman. Yeah, and they both get caught up in that crash. So, B. Scott, it looks like I'm bringing the crash kiss of death to you. Like, I'm used to it, but now you – I mean, that's – it's the way it's been recently, ever since the NFL playoffs. Yeah. 
you you're rubbing off on bad on me. <laughs> you used to be the voice of reason, and now I'm just I'm just dragging you down with me. But you know, um, you got to realize though, with Daytona, it is such a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Daytona and Talladega are the two tracks where you can make a pick, and there's about a 99.9 percent chance you've got it wrong because. It's, I mean, it is about having a good car. It is about driving the car correctly and everything. You have to be good at it. But man, it is a, a lot of luck in these restrictor plate races. And that's exactly what we saw. I mean, look, on the final lap, the almost the final turn of the final lap, the leaders took each other out. Right. So, I mean, it just anything can happen at any moment at that track. And all of a sudden, all of the favorites, I mean, really, necess- ne- if you look at it, the two big wrecks, usually you can always count on at least one big one. You call it the big one. Mm-hmm. At, and it's usually about middle of the pack where it happens because those guys just start driving too dicey. Because um, you always want to be up at the front or up at, down in the back, way in the back. So that way you can either avoid it by having the big wreck behind you or be way in, behind the big wreck. So that way you can get off the throttle and avoid it as at all costs. Um, but this this year, it was all the big wreck was caused at the front of the pack each time. Yeah, it's so pretty wild. That was that was that's pretty rare. I mean, it is not uncommon to see a big wreck happen in the end up near the front because that's where everybody's going to start racing balls to the wall for the the lead. But to, the one on lap fifteen that was ridiculous. Are you kidding me? It's you're 15 laps into the season and you're racing like that already. Calm down. Right. <laughs> they did, but <laughs> you just don't see that. I mean, that's that, that one you expect in the middle of the pack or out in the, out in the near the rear of the field when people are really trying to make those risky moves early on to get themselves into a better position or get themselves into a position where they can be with their drafting partner or whatever it may be. You just don't see that happen up at the front like that. Right. I absolutely agreed. Um, so yeah, so that's the, the crash that ends up bringing out the initial red flag. As you mentioned, there's then a five hour and 40 minute red flag for rain. Uh, it was kind of a tale of two races because Denny Hamlin led 98 laps. I mean, not, you know, at different times, you know, but he wins stages one and two. Um, he was looking pretty dominant, you know, in that new, you know, with that new team teaming up with Michael Jordan. So, uh, you know, that's, oh, no, 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 that's separate. Is it? Okay. That is. He is. He still strictly drives for Joe Gibbs, but I got he you. is a co-owner with uh, twenty-three eleven with Michael Jordan. So that's. I mean, just because. Yeah, him and Bubba worked together a lot in the race because of that connection and right. Toyotas. You saw all the Toyotas work together. You saw all the Fords work together, and all the Chevys work together. But they are not on the same team. They they may share technology from Joe Gibbs because of the Toyota factor. Yeah. But they are not on the same team. I gotcha. Um, but yeah, so Denny Hamlin uh, wins both stages one and two, leads 98 laps. There were 22 lead changes among 13 different drivers, seven cautions for 40 laps. Uh, but as you mentioned, big crash uh, on the last lap. Uh, it was, you know, when they hit the white flag, it was Joey Logano leading with Brad Keselowski second. Uh, Michael McDowell was third. Um, and then going into turn three, it, I don't, it didn't really look like Logano 
I mean, it kind of looked like he came down to block, but it also didn't look like it was that crazy of a move um, to try to prevent Kozlowski from getting by, but they do end up colliding uh, and taking each other out. Michael McDowell takes the lead for a brief period of time. Chase Elliott then kind of moves back in front of him, but because of the, at the time of the caution, McDowell was the leader. Uh, he takes home his first career win, which is pretty wild. I mean, you know, to get your first career win, I can't remember who it was. You said it's like the fourth time that's happened. Right, I was trying to remember. Was the last Trevor time? Bain was the Trevor, last one. I that's believe. what I was going to say. That's the guy I was trying to think of because he was in the it Wood was, Brothers. It was his second career race. Right, because well. that that was for like the Wood Brothers, wasn't it? The twenty one. Yeah, it yeah. was like the, the classic uh, paint scheme on it as well. So it was like really historic for the Wood Brothers to win, get back to victory lane at Daytona right. and whatnot. So. Yeah, so, um, you know, a big win by him, uh, first career win, which is wild. Uh, but, yeah, as far as the race is concerned, I thought it was a fun race. Um, you know, the new car, it, there was, it seems like kind of what NASCAR needs in the sense of, you know, the new car kind of balances things out, but you still saw, you know, the faces that you're familiar with. Um, you know, you still saw your, um, you know, you still saw your Kevin Harvick's, Denny Hamlin's, um, you know, Brad Kozlowski's Joey Logano is still at the front, but it looked like there's some new people kind of jostling for, for position as well, which is what you like to see, especially coming off of a year where NASCAR did kind of take the spotlight a little bit. You kind of want to see some of those new faces at the front. So I think it's really good to see uh, Michael McDowell get the win again. Uh, it kind of stinks that there's that big long delay, but I think it, and there stinks that the race ends at like, you know, midnight on a Sunday. Um, so you obviously hey, at least today was a, today was technically a national holiday. True, true. That that does make it a little bit uh, better as far as you know people being able to see it. But I think it was a fun race. Um, pretty standard for you know as far as Daytona 500s are concerned. You know, stinks that you had the big red flag, but not much you can do about that. And then of course, um, you know, a, a, a good to see uh, Michael McDowell. Great story. You know, I, I said it in our prediction show. You know, I wanted to see the story. And hey, when you get your first career win at the Daytona 500, that's a pretty big story. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I, honestly, I don't think the new car had anything to do with the new names that we're seeing up at the front. Secondly, it was old, the, the same old, same old names, just sprinkling a few like Michael McDowell, Ryan Priest, Austin Sendrick. Well, Austin Sendrick's a rookie. That was technically his first uh, start, you know, up at this series. Um, you know, and he, he had just won in the Xfinity series. So he has the experience. And I mean, Austin Sendrick comes from a racing family. I mean, when your dad is the basically the chief uh, strategist for Penske, Tim Sendrick. I mean, <laughs> it's so he, he comes from a racing background. But um, I think what the reason, one of the biggest reasons we saw a lot of different names up there was because there was, this was a really big off season for NASCAR. There was a lot of shuffling of drivers. I mean, obviously we saw Kyle Larson get back into the racing world, back into NASCAR with Hendrick Motorsports, and he was up there all night, all day, whatever you want to call it. But um, I think it's just because there was a lot of movement of drivers. And I think also early on, you saw a lot of the bigger names, a lot of the favorites get knocked out on the lap 15 wreck. And if they weren't completely knocked out, they just weren't fully repaired enough to contend for the win. So that really shook things up as well. But yes, this next gen car, it's it's kind of an even playing field a little bit because everybody is still trying to figure it out and kind of feel it out. But the biggest factor is they only had, they had like less than an hour, I believe it was, of total practice time 
leading up to this race. I mean, yes, they had the Bush clashes, um, you know, and they had qualifying, but you can't qualifying doesn't really help you with anything because you're out there as a single car, but they did not have a, a whole lot of practice time. Uh, speed weeks were taken up with a lot of other things and it's still, they're still working their way back through their COVID protocols as well. So I think it really leveled the playing field because of that. But I mean, obviously it was, you still saw a lot of the same old, same olds up there. Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, Penske, uh, Roush Fenway. I mean, Stuart Haas. So you're, it's not surprising to um, see those names, but at the same time, I mean, obviously the, the bubble, bubble Wallace being up there, that was really good to see with, the, with that being a new team. Uh, we didn't really get to see what Daniel Suarez had because of the wreck. Obviously, he got unlucky and got caught up in that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be an exciting year. I think really we're going to see this new car really kind of stretch its legs on the road course, especially next week. I'm so excited. I'm so glad that they decided to follow the Daytona 500 up with the Daytona road course. That's going to be awesome because even if you just – if you watched um, – I forget what, what the race was called, but it, it changed, it changes sponsorship every year, but that kind of exhibition all-star race thing that they do at the kickoff the season um, on the road, they did it on the road course this year. And that was a very exciting oh, race. Oh, like the Bud shootout? Yes. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. yeah, the shootout. That was a very exciting race. So that just kind of shows you what to expect this next weekend when you have a full field, you have a longer race, it's going to be really exciting. And this, they, they did a lot of testing with this car on road courses, mostly because if you look at this season, there's going to be a lot of road courses. It's not just your typical Watkins Glen and Sonoma or the old Sears point, you know, it's, it's not just those anymore. I mean, it's totally shaking things up this year. I mean, Daytona road course on there, um, Let's see. I, I think they're still going to do Charlotte, the Charlotte road course, the Roval. Oh yeah. I, I love the Roval. I mean, obviously they're adding the Indy road course. I think that's phenomenal. I've always said it. I think that's going to make for a much more exciting brickyard uh, circuit of the Americas. Wow. <laughs> that's going to be so cool. That is such a cool track. And then road America. I mean, come on to see the, those, these guys at road America is going to be awesome. So there's a lot of really good road courses for these drivers and this car to really uh, spread its legs on. And I think you're going to see a lot more competitive racing at those types of courses as well. I think this car overall is just going to be a really good, it's just been a really good thing for the future of NASCAR. Oh yeah, I agree. It's it's going to be a fun season and we're going to go ahead and uh, do a little bit of a preview. I know it's typical. We usually do our previews like before the season actually starts, but I mean, it's one race. Daytona 500 is kind they of kind a... do it backwards though in NASCAR. Cause if you really think about it, they, <laughs> yeah. they, the Daytona 500 is the Super Bowl of NASCAR. They kick off the season with that. And really nine times out of 10, it doesn't really factor too much into no. who the overall champion is because so many of the championship favorites get knocked out right throughout the race and then you have a guy like michael mcdowell win the race i mean michael mcdowell now has an entry into the playoffs because of winning the daytona 500 but he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be there on the back end of it because of the standings unfortunately i mean that's just the way it is i mean unfortunately that's the way it is right can you imagine if they like he's in the show that's all that really matters and ultimately for him in the end but um yeah i don't really take too much into account like 
oh, got to look out for this driver because they performed well at the Daytona 500. It's like, well, uh, let, right. let's see how they perform. Hey, all you got to do is get in the dance. Championship contenders really start to uh, come out, I, all I believe. You, all you got to do is get in the dance, man. He's got that that ticket in there. Um. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you have that low of a money flow coming in for your team and you're going up against the big boys. Right. I know you like the underdog story. I, I like <laughs> it too, but yeah, that's it's, a tough one. I mean, gonna he's got he's got to win more than just the Daytona 500 to actually be in true contention and be consistently in the top ten. Well, we are going to get into our uh, season preview of the NASCAR season, but first, let's get a word from our friends of the show. Are you tired of your same old lunch hour of sitting and scrolling through your apps on your smartphone? Have you thought about playing a board game with your coworkers? Eat Lunch and Board Game is a podcast dedicated to telling you about board games that are great for lunchtime fun and some that are probably better saved for after work hours. I've been playing games at my office for over four years now where I have made new friends and business connections that have been very useful. Board games build bridges. All right, so as you were mentioning, B. Scott, there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, changes on the season uh, for the NASCAR world. Uh, we do have a lot more uh, road courses on the schedule. You touched on that, of course. Yeah, I'm right there with you as far as uh, the Daytona road course. Really excited to see that and the Indianapolis road course. Uh, there's seven total on the schedule this season. So you got those four new ones, and you've got, you know, of course, the normal ones like, you know, Watkins Glen and, um, and, uh, and Sonoma um, there is the I'm really excited for the uh, spring Bristol race that's going to be on dirt this year that's like in a few weeks yeah I know that's very ex- awesome yeah it's going to be a very fun race to watch uh, Nashville is on the schedule uh, this year uh, for the first time you've seen some like you know IndyCar races and you know the you know kind of lower series like the um, you know, like, uh, you know, the truck series and stuff have been on Nashville, but not, uh, NASCAR. So that'll be, or not, uh, the, uh, not, um, the monster energy series. So that'll be uh, really cool. And then of course you've got, um, the all-star race in Texas. So a lot of different, you know, changes, of course, you got the new car as well. Um, so it's going to be really fun to watch. Of course, you know, we mentioned, uh, Denny Hamlin's team with Michael Jordan, uh, Bubba Wallace is the driver there. Daniel Suarez, uh, teams up with Pitbull. Um, so you've got um, a lot of in- <laughs> you've got a lot of uh, interesting things on the schedule for this year, and I- I'm really excited to see. You know, you mentioned it, the Daytona and Indy car- uh, and Indy Road courses. I think those are going to be some two uh, really great races. Um, you know, the season's going to be um, you know really fun to watch, and I think this is really good because, like I said last year, they kind of you know NASCAR kind of, th- in my opinion took a step forward as far as, you know, they, they had the limelight, you know, you know, whether or not, you know, it was a good or bad thing, you know, for the rest of the sports world. I mean, you know, and obviously much bigger things were going on, obviously, you know, all, you know, every other sport couldn't really do anything because of COVID, but NASCAR and, you know, IndyCar could, um, you know, could obviously go on. And so because of that, NASCAR had the spotlight and I think they've, and they've done a good job to take advantage of that, you know, basically being forced into the limelight a little bit and these changes on the schedule. I mean, heck I'm, you know, I'm excited for next week at Daytona's road course. I'm excited for the Bristol dirt track race. Like I'm, there's a lot of things that they're doing this season that, that I think are steps in the right direction. I'm really excited to see what they do. Yeah, me too. I think this is going to be a really exciting year for NASCAR. Um, like I said, because of the new car, which a lot of people don't know about, uh, the addition of some really prominent road courses and changing up of 
races like the Brickyard, um, instead of being on the oval, it's now the road course, which I think is going to be, I, oh, I'm just so excited for that. Also, it being a doubleheader weekend with IndyCar as well, um, that's just going to put a huge spotlight on the racing capital of the world yet again. Um, I love the dirt track idea. I'm really interested to see how that works out. I really am. I have a feeling that it's going to be a race where there's going to be a lot of wrecking. Um, well, it's Bristol anyway. So I'm, like it is, it is. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to make an early pick on it. I am going to say Kyle Larson runs away with that race. Mostly because Kyle Larson had an entire year this past season where he was not in NASCAR and he spent that driving dirt tracks in USAC and absolutely dominated. I mean, he would go to races and run away with it. It was unbelievable how good he was on dirt. So early favorite, Kyle Larson at Bristol on the dirt. Yeah, I'm interested to see, maybe this is a dumb thought, but I'm interested to see how that race is going to work also because like typically you see, you know, dirt track, like these cars aren't really built like the same as you see on dirt tracks. So it's interesting to see if we're going to see kind of just a normal race just on dirt or if it's going to actually like how that, how the dirt is going to play a factor on these cars that don't typically run on dirt. Right. It is going to be interesting. I think different tires, obviously, and this is, I wonder if they're going to change the suspension because when those cars get into the grass, they just like dig it up, you know, like that front splitter is going to be, I mean, it's going to have to be lifted high. I don't know. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a challenge for these teams and it's going to be a fun, exciting challenge to watch. Cause also um, pit road is not on dirt. Pit road is still um, concrete asphalt, whatever it is. Uh, but it is not dirt. So that will be interesting as well because you, you know, you want to, you can't really scuff your tires too much because you want to keep them. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. It's, I don't it's have to wait too long either. It's just a few weeks. Just a few weeks away. What is the date? Do you know the exact date? I don't know. I don't have the exact date pulled up, but yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun. So yeah, those are, you know, um, you know, that's what I'm kind of looking forward to the most is uh, the Daytona and Indy road courses. And oh, you know, March 28th, I'm going to be out of the country. Oh, well, there you go. But it's it. six weeks away though. So not six too, weeks. not too far away at all. So it'll be a really fun weekend there. I'm sure that's going to be really fun to watch. And, and I think that's really, again, really good for the sport. Um, as far as our predictions go, uh, I'm, we're going to make our, our pick for our, who we think is going to be our champion and who is going to be the dark horse um, to kind of have a good season and potentially, I don't know. I don't know if you're really, you know, dark horse to win it, I guess, but I don't know if, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. It's kind of a driver to look out for, uh, for me, as far as my champion, I didn't realize this. And you can tell me if I looked up, if you know, I, I found the wrong data here, but I was very, cause I was very shocked to read it and I didn't quite believe it, but I found it a couple different places. I didn't realize Danny Hamlin's never won a title. Mm-mm. I thought he had at some point. Oh, he's come close, but right. he's, never, he's never been able to actually get through. Well, the closest he's come is second in 2010. So, like, that was freaking almost. It, it's really, I mean, it is surprising last year just because him and Kevin Harvick were so dominant last year. Right. I mean, it was either one or the other winning almost every race for a, a period there. Right. Um, so, if they would have done, if they would have, the old way of, 
point scoring or naming a champion without the playoffs, Denny Hamlin or Kevin Harvick would have been your champion, not Chase Elliott for sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've always kind of hated the the point standing system just because in, I think in the beginning or not the the like playoff, the playoff? system. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because well, I can't say that because I was really happy Chase Elliott won. I'm starting but, to warm up I mean, to it. You have one bad race, and all of your success that you've had throughout the entire season does not matter. But that's the way it is in any other sport, too. You have yep. one bad game, and all of a sudden, all the success you've had for the entire season is out the window. I mean, look, the Colts back in 2005 were the best team in the NFL. They had a rough fourth quarter against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they were out. And, the, you know, the Steelers went on to win the Super Bowl, obviously. But, you know, I guess that's the way it is with every other sport. Same thing, college basketball. You could be the best team in college basketball all season long. You get to the NCAA tournament and you get bounced in the second round. Yeah, I it's think the way it is. I think I'm. I, I think I like it because of the fact, or I'm starting to warm up to it because of now the eliminations. Because back in the day, it was just like it, they cut it off at ten and it was normal playoffs, like normal point standings. After that, so it wasn't really a playoff. It was just more or less like. All right, well, these are your ten yeah, drivers yeah, that I matters. Like and the, right. And the rest of the there's now there's now just ten cars that matter and there's thirty-three cars that are traffic. Have fun. Um so uh so, it, I mean it it is it is interesting because it, it really shakes things up if somebody that's not in the playoffs gets up there and wins a race and it's like, Oh, are you kidding me? That could have been my spot in the next round <laughs> and you just took it from me. Right. Um, so yeah, so my pick to win is Denny Hamlin, just because, you know, I tried to like not let the first race influence anything because I mean, it really didn't hear, but I was like, man, when I saw that Denny Hamlin had never won, I was like, it's about darn time that he wins one. So that's my pick for who's going to win. Now, Sorry, Denny, that means you're going to have a terrible year. Um, so you might as well just phone it in now. Um, and then as far as my dark horse, I'm going to go with Bubba Wallace. I think working with having kind of, I mean, obviously they're not going to share all the secrets from Joe Gibbs, but like, you know, having that kind of, you know, foot in the door of a, you know, what good established team like Joe Gibbs with Denny Hamlin, those two drivers working together, um, you know, because, as, as tough as it may seem and, you know, as, as kind of shocking as it's been, you know, throughout you know, really the entirety of my fandom in NASCAR, like Richard, you know, Richard Petty's teams have never been really that good. And the team and drivers really haven't done a whole lot of, haven't really had a whole lot of success there. So now that Bubba Wallace is away from that, um, not to say that it was anything like toxic or anything, but just saying getting away from that, you know, getting to, um, you know, a, a, a new team, but with better intel. I think that's going to be really good and really uh, good to see him. Uh, you know, I think that that'll allow him to kind of break out a little bit. So my champion is Denny Hammond. My dark horse is Bubba Wallace. You know, my champion is Kevin Harvick. Uh, he came so close last year and just had a horrible day at Martinsville. And I feel like he's going to come back with a vengeance. And we saw how good he was last year. So there's no reason to believe he can't be that good again. Um and I, I feel like he's got something to prove. Now, obviously, it was a little uh, – he did. He finished well in the, in the 500. But, like I said, I don't really take too much into account with that one. Um, my dark horse – my dark horse, I'm going to go with my original pick for the Daytona 500. I'm going to go with Alex Bowman. Um, he's a guy that just seems to be coming around and getting better and better every race. And, I mean, obviously, it wasn't his fault he got wrecked at the Daytona 500. <laughs> um, I think he would have been right up there contending for the win had he not. But 
Um, this, I think he's, he's, a, he's somebody to look out for this season. I think he's a dark horse. If not him, I think the, the ultimate dark horse would be Kyle Larson. Yeah, uh, as far as looking forward to anything, uh, you know, forward to, to the most in 2021, we've kind of already touched on that. But is there anything else that you're excited for? we got the road courses. We've got the dirt track. I'm just excited for, like, a, a semi-normal season. Yeah. You know, see the fans being back in the stands, um, just getting back to the storylines that are on the track, you know, not the in separate extra storylines on the side, you know, COVID or any political movements, anything like that. Let's just get back to what it is, get back to racing. Yeah. And um, I'm excited for that. Just kind of have a sense of normalcy coming back. It was, it seemed more normal because they, they allowed so many fans in at the 500 this year. It's, it felt normal i mean obviously a lot of the fans left because of the rain delay right. but still it was there was a lot of fans in the stands they had practice they had the full national anthem and flyovers it, it felt like a normal race weekend right yeah i'm with you there because i've i've you know kind of noticed you know through 2020 and obviously there's a lot more that happened in 2020 than, you know, that's more important than sports. But like, I just felt really detached from sports in 2020. Um, you know, it, it, just it felt, of, it just felt fake. Yeah. So like, I'm like, I was, you know, looking at, I was like, you know what, like I'm looking forward to having like a normal sports year, you know, as, as normal as it can be, but just more normal than last year was, you know, I tweeted out too. I was like, you know what? Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, So I guess we're back on the right track a little bit. Cause you know, that's, that's about as normal as we, as we get usually in, in football, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm right there with you. I'm ready for a more, more normal sports year in general. So I'm right there with you. Um, before we get into uh, our college basketball talk and kind of shift gears here, want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at crash course FM. You can like us on Facebook crash course podcast. Remember we have our new YouTube exclusive, podcast the mct podcast first episode is already out so go check out them as they talk about you know pro days and and they uh you know for the nfl combine and talk a little bit of nfl draft stuff as well as uh some basketball if you if, if we don't give you your full basketball fix you can head on over there crash course podcast on youtube um and then remember you can uh, uh listen on apple Podcasts, google podcast spotify wherever podcasts can be heard near the crash course podcast and if you're listening on any of those uh you know if you're listening on spotify or apple you can also head on over to twitch.tv slash 3c media where we record the podcast live every monday so um let's go ahead and talk some college hoops we haven't really talked about it um much since the season started of course you know the college basketball landscape we talk about getting back to normal but it's been anything but normal with you know kentucky and duke both struggling and all that kind of thing although uh, i don't know that there's really anyone too super upset about that except for those fan bases yeah um, i think this was the first time in i can't remember how long i can't remember the actual number but at what this this year Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Kansas were all unranked. That's wild. I was like, I knew, I knew it may have been like one of those things that's like the first time that's ever happened. Yeah. I was like, cause I knew, I thought Kansas was struggling too. So that's, yeah, it's, it's been a wild year. I mean, whenever you have like Alabama as a projected two seed, you know, it's been kind of a weird year for college basketball, but let's go yeah, ahead. They got the, they got the bag man going. <laughs> they've got they got the bag man going to their recruits i guarantee it you're gonna hear i guarantee it i'm so sorry but alabama really yeah. right 
They, the bag man has been very busy down there going to talk to some guys with a duffel with, uh, you know, the that good money, a couple of K's sitting in a duffel bag, shifting, changing hands down there in Alabama. Yeah, it's it's wild to see them up at the top. Uh, hopping into uh, the first Indiana team, we're going to go kind of across the, the state here. Um, we'll start off with the Butler Bulldogs. They're 7-11, and 11, eighth in the Big East. They've lost four of their last six games. We kind of thought there was a chance that they could be, you know, it was, it was kind of a, you know, they had a lot of turnover from last year. So it was, you know, we were trying to decide, you know, whether or not they could bounce back and have a good year or if it was going to be a struggle. It has turned out to be a struggle. Um, the remaining schedule is Marquette. Um, they're at Xavier. They get Seton Hall at home. Then they host number five Villanova, and then they finish their season at number nineteen Creighton, who they did beat earlier on in the season. The key players on the year have been uh, Jair Bolden, uh, who's averaged twelve points per game, and Bryce Nyes, who's uh, been good on the boards with eight rebounds. Um, but you kind of look at this season as it gets closer to the end here for Butler, is they're likely you know not going to go to the NCAA tournament um, unless they can likely find a- they're not. Well, right, right. I mean, they could win the Big East, B. Scott. They could still. They could as long still as they do. Don't get shut down again by COVID. Right. Um, so you kind of look at what's gone wrong, and I was, you know, taking a look at the stats here. They are last in the Big East in points per game, rebounds, and field goal percentage. So they're not only, you know, missing their first shot at the basket; they're only getting one shot at the basket. They're, you know, not getting many second chance opportunities. Um, so they're, you know, not getting a lot of second chances on possessions, and they've also struggled away from Hinkle. Uh, there's seven of their eleven losses have been on the road this season, so um, it's just been a rough go of it where they've struggled to really put a lot of points points on the board um and then when they've you know struggled to put points on the board they're only getting like one shot so if they're having a bad shooting night which they've had more often than not uh it's pretty much some of the entire team so uh it's been just a rough year for butler yeah i mean they didn't really get a full off season of practice not a lot of teams did but them less so uh, they've been shut down a couple times with covid within their program um they're very young they are a very young team. Their, their, their big transfer, I forget his name, but uh, he wasn't ruled eligible until like halfway through the season. And so, you know, you got to get that chemistry there with him. And, you know, they're trying to find who their next sh- big shooters are because, they you know, some of those guys graduated. They're, they're in a transition right now. I know a lot of people – I know some – I know people are starting to say – is it time for a change? Is it time for Laval Jordan to go? I don't know. It For one, it is t- – I think it's tough. I think for Butler, it is very, very tough being in the Big East. Let's just be honest. It is a totally different animal than being in the Horizon League or being in uh, – oh, what was the conference they were in for one season before heading to the Big oh, East? Oh, shoot. Uh, I'll look it up. So I was like, that's actually bothering me too. Xavier was in it for a while, that for a while too, but they weren't. They didn't go to the A10 for a year, did they? Yes, they did. It was the A10. Oh, okay. They were in the A10 for one season. Um, So the Big East has always been a different kind of animal. Uh, They always have a different level of athlete. It seems like, obviously, because a lot of them are East Coast. It is a different style of basketball than what Butler is used to playing or Butler is used to recruiting. It's a different type of different types of players. I mean, Butler's used to going out and finding 
the diamond in the rough in some backcountry school in Indiana, that kid that's been playing outside of his barn on a broken down hoop that can just drain threes from anywhere in the cornfield, you know, and that's the type of player Butler has always gone after, but that's not the type of player that's truly successful in the big East. He's not the athletic player. He, you know, he can't defend very well, but he can shoot lights out. You know, you always need one of those guys, but Butler used to make teams up of that almost. And that they, that doesn't work too well in the big East. So I still think they're trying to find their legs just as they're trying to getting their legs underneath them. COVID happens. They lose players to graduation. It's just a perfect storm for this team. I don't think it's time for a change at the the coaching position. Now, if it continues on for the next few years and recruiting doesn't have an uptick anytime soon, recruiting is getting better. um, Then I think it may be time, but don't jump the gun too soon on that or else you you know you may end up struggling even more but it is tough for butler because anytime any of their coaches have success they jump to ohio state yeah yeah (laughs) bad motto jump to ohio state i mean how many of a brad well brad stevens jumped to the nba but that's different um chris holtman jumped to ohio state yeah, it's it's rough when you're kind of in that because it's 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 wild because the Big East is kind of in the middle. It's it's now composed of teams for the most part that are not that are still, in my opinion, sort of looked at as those stepping stone schools and not looked at as big powers because obviously at the top outside of, of Villanova. Well, right, that's what I was gonna say. Like you have those teams, and I'm I would imagine UConn will eventually get back there too. Where like if you go to UConn or Villanova, which I know this is UConn's first year back in the Big East, like you're going to stay there because, you know, that's a, you know, pretty good school, you know, pretty good basketball school, uh, or at least has the history of being a good basketball school. Whereas you go to Butler, you know, you're looked at like a mid-major. You go to Seton Hall, you're looked at as a mid-major. You go to Providence, Creighton, yeah. Um, So it's kind of that like weird mix. Um, So, yeah, it's, you know, and – uh, yeah, it's it's been rough uh, for Butler, I think, for the most part since making that move. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, and I think that's why, as far as like how they can salvage their season and have a little bit of a a bright spot, is to knock off Villanova, who in the past they've been able to um, you know kind of have their number, and it is it is going to be a home game against number five Villanova or against Creighton if they can sweep Creighton on the year and kind of say, hey, you know what. You know, Creighton's a really good team. They're at the top of the Big East for a reason. We were able to sweep them. You know, that could be something they can kind of hang their hat on, you know, for the year and kind of say, you know what, it was a rough year, but we can kind of come back to this next season. You know, when we're looking for motivation, we can say, hey, you know what, even though we finished the season, you know, well under 500, we still got those big wins over, you know, you know, sweeping Creighton or beating Villanova or both. Um, you know, they can kind of go back and hang their hat on for that and use that as motivation and, and, and to get themselves in better shape for next year. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's going to take time. This, it, it's just really strange for us to go from a team that, you know, was dominating year in and year out to what is going on now, but it's a, it's a difference. I mean, obviously, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one to put your finger on to actually figure out exactly what's going on, but give it time. I have faith that the butlership will get right in. Yeah, I'm with you. 
Um, so looking now at Notre Dame, um, you know, going to another team that we're kind of kind of weird to see struggle. Um, and it's been for Notre Dame, it's been kind of a weird last couple of years because they've, you know, you don't usually see Mike Bray teams uh, struggle for this long, but uh, but they have been. They're eight and ten. Uh, they're eleventh in the ACC. They have won five of their last seven games. The remaining schedule is Miami, Clemson, at Syracuse, at Louisville, at Boston College. Then they uh, have their uh, last two games at home against NC State and number seventeen uh, Florida State. Uh, their key players, uh, Nate Lazuski, is averaging fi- uh, fifteen points, eight rebounds per game. Um, and he's been uh, really good from three-point range, 53%. Prentice Hub has also been good, 15.6 assists per game. Um, so Notre Dame um, has been playing uh, actually really good basketball as of late. So the question is, can they get back to 500 possibly before the end of the year? Um, of course, they've got, you know, six games. They could end up, you know, I think down the stretch that would mean, um, you know, they'd have to get, I think, you know, four or five wins to get to that point. So unlikely that they will. Um, end up finishing over 500 or even get back to 500. But I think uh, there are some kind of like with Butler, they have some bright spots um, that could potentially help them, you know, for next season. Um, and, and, you know, if they can finish the season strong, it's going to be good for them for next year. Um, but they do have kind of a tough schedule down the stretch. Yeah. I don't know. I think Mike, I honestly, I feel like Mike Bray is, is dumb. I don't, it's, he's not able to get this type of player that he has been in the past. Um, I don't know. It, Notre Dame is another tough one. Like, how do you go from being like a, a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament, not that long ago, making a run to the elite eight consistently to being a doormat almost of the ACC. Now, I mean, they are a little bit better this year, a little bit. But it, it's just so – I mean, they, they beat Duke, but I guess everybody's beating Duke this year. Right. Um, it is confusing. But, I, yeah, I don't think they I, – I honestly, I don't think Mike Bray can write the ship. It's, a, it's I don't think he can. You know, um, I think he's been around there so long, and his success has been so up and down. I think if you're going to look at a, a place that needs to move on and – make a change it's Notre Dame I think they need to make a change and um I think his I don't know I just I don't feel like he he's all into it anymore but I think making a a head coaching change will could potentially help Notre Dame in the future yeah I was looking back um you know through their last few seasons um so they made it the last time they went to the NCAA tournament uh, was back in their uh, 2016-17 season. They got to the second round that year. Um, in 17-18, uh, they uh, made it to the NIT second round. Um, they were 21 and 15. Then they were 14 and 19 in uh, in uh, 28 or they were 14 19 in 2018 and 2019. Then they were 20 and 12 last year. But of course, there was no NCAA tournament. Um, and then, of course, uh, they're now 9-10 and 10, uh, this season. So, I mean, it, it is a weird thing, too, because if you're Mike Bray, you could also be like, what, you're giving me, you know, you know you'd know, you be getting rid of me after a weird COVID season and then uh, where we were eight games above 500, uh, even though they, we didn't have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament, even if there, there had been one. Um, or you're going to, you know, give me flack for a year that, like, Duke – 
you know, and, and everybody was also down all, you know, it was kind of a weird basketball season, you know, in general. So it is kind of weird to make judgments on that, but you're right. I mean, he's been there for, um, you know, 21 years and I can't, I didn't realize it had been like three seasons since he'd been, I thought they had like made it two years ago and then they had the two, you know, weird years, the last two years, but uh, it's, it's been, you know, you know, three or four years, basically a whole grad, you know, a whole graduating class since the last time they went to the NCAA tournament. Right. And, you know, and I don't, um, I don't see them making a move after this season, just because this season I think is a wash for a lot of people. Um, but if they have another season next year, like they've had the past few, I can see them moving on. Now a bright spot for the Irish, I think is the class of 2022. Um, you know, Lazuski is a junior. He's second in the ACC. Uh, Notre Dame is second in the ACC in points scored and three points percentage uh, because of him. Uh, he's a big part of that. Uh, and their top four scorers are all juniors. Um, and if they can hit on a recruiter too, I mean, I don't see why they couldn't have a bounce back here next year. Um, but that may be also leading into kind of what you've mentioned too, where, Hey, maybe not this year, but next year, maybe the move, if they have another off year next year, then yeah, that could, that's not going to be good at all. But if the, these juniors that are having good years this year in a, in a season where at the end of the year, they're starting to pick things up, you know, maybe they can have a few big wins down the stretch, make some noise in the ACC tournament and talk call it a day. Um, so, you know, but, you know, having those, that talent that, that we see them have in that junior class, um, you know, they could come back next year, hit on a couple of recruits and have a decent season. And, and the, the story for Mike Bray changes. Yeah. I mean, it, for them, what's tough is they don't, they can't, they have, they've struggled recently recruiting the state of Indiana. And if you want to have success, you need to be able to recruit your own backyard. And um, what's tough for them is that even the players that are up in their like up in the region near South Bend are not going to Notre Dame. They're not. Um, I mean, look, Jaden Ivy, his mom's the head coach of the Notre Dame women's basketball team, went to Purdue. I mean, there's uh, Jalen Washington, maybe a name to watch out for in the future for them. Um, kind of a, a a recruit that a lot of people have their, their scratching their heads because he's recovering from an ankle injury. So he may be one of those that could slip to Notre Dame. But it seems like Notre Dame recently, and I know this is going to sound bad because of who I'm a fan of, but Notre Dame has been picking, trying to pick up the scraps of Purdue, essentially. It's okay, Purdue got their higher level recruit, so they stopped recruiting this guy. So now he's free to go to Notre Dame if he wants. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And that's that's been what's been a real struggle for them. And if they do land somebody, it's like, well, what is wrong with that player? Why did Matt Painter all of a sudden go off of him? You know, that, that's been one of those – that's been a lot of the talk is, you know, why did Matt Painter decide – this player to stop recruiting this player you know he's highly regarded but what what is um what is wrong with this guy what's what is he seeing that other people aren't seeing and then those types of things ultimately end up panning out to be you know guys that are busts or something and that's that's just been what notre dame has struggled with they cannot they've been struggling with recruiting just their own area their own backyard which is full of talent it's a very rich talented area um, but they've just struggled to keep those guys home close to them. 
to other programs uh, within, well, whether it be Michigan State or Purdue. Those are the two that have that come into that area and just poach them away. Very true. Uh, well, you, you brought up some Big Ten teams with Michigan State and Purdue, so we're going to get to Purdue here in a second, but we're also going to talk about the IU Hoosiers, the team you're a big fan of, B. Scott. Um, the Hoosiers are 11-9 and on the season. They're eighth in the Big Ten. They're projected right now as a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament, according to ESPN Bracketology. Um, they are 5-5 five and five since the start of 2021 and haven't won more than two games in a row this season. Their remaining schedule is Minnesota, Michigan State at number 25, Rutgers, Michigan, and number 24, Purdue. Um, they just so want to play Iowa every game. Yeah. So can we just get, they just, I mean, they want to, they need to petition the Big Ten and say, hey, can we just cancel the rest of our schedule and just put games against Iowa? Because that's hey. the only team that we can truly beat. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, talk about a gauntlet to end your season. Three ranked teams, although two of those games are at home. Uh, they have had some great, uh, you know, efforts this year from Trace Jackson Davis, who averages 19 points, nine rebounds per game, and Armand Franklin, who averages 13 points per game. Um, as far as what we, I think what they'll do the rest of the season, I do think they'll finish above 500. They'll finish uh, 13 and 12. I think they beat uh, Minnesota. I think they beat Michigan State. Um, and uh, which gives them their two more wins. But I do think they, you know, do lose. I mean, you're probably going to see it, you know, you'll flip one of those. I mean, I'm sure they'll, I'm, I'm, they're going to lose to Michigan and Purdue most likely because they can't beat Purdue and Michigan. Michigan's having a fantastic year. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe flip Rutgers and Michigan State is a game they'll win and lose just because it's that I think same. Because out... everybody's beating Michigan. State. Yeah. So let's say, let's say they, you know, they beat, uh, Michigan or lose to Michigan State and then beat Rutgers. We'll just kind of flip flop because I mean, it, basically the rest of the year they're going to go two and three, um, and uh, they're going to finish above five hundred. But uh, you know, I just had a solid season. Um, I do think what they're going to do is they're going to end up uh, thirteen and twelve, and I do think they're going to end up with the twelve seed in the uh, tournament, just because usually thirteen through sixteen is reserved for those mid major schools. You don't often see you know a you know a major conference school be ranked lower than twelfth. Uh, or seeded lower than 12th in the tournament. So I think they'll end up with the 12th seed. A solid year. I mean, you know, not you know necessarily up to IU standards, but considering, you know, the circumstances. Well, IU, I, IU okay. They're lofty standards. I didn't say that they should, they should, they realistically should IU have those standards. standards need yes. to realize that IU is no longer a blue blood. IU is no longer a national championship contender year in and year out. They need to realize who they are get their expectations lowered, and then guess what? The program can actually grow. When you yeah. have a program that's trying to live up to expectations of its fan base that are totally unrealistic and of where they are nowhere close to, I mean, I, I know I'm a Purdue fan, but even I, even IU pundits say, like, listen to Dan Dockage. He says it all the time. It's like, guys, this is not the IU of 1987. This is not the IU of the early 90s even. This is a this is not a blue blood program. This is a middling pack, middling of the pack Big Ten program, even potentially basement of the Big Ten that needs to get its footing together and needs to stop trying to live up to these unrealistic expectations. Another banner is not coming anytime soon. Bob Knight is not the Bob Knight of his prime is not walking back through that door to coach this team anytime soon. And while we're at it, let's get off the talk of Brad Stevens is going to leave the Boston Celtics to lead Indiana back to glory. That's not happening either. I mean, seriously, 
you got what you got. You went out and you tried to get yourself a coach that you thought was going to be able to take you to the next level in Lil Archie. And he has no idea how to do, how to get his players into the best situations possible. I mean, it's, it's sad down there. It's a sad state of affairs right now, I think, for the Indiana Hoosiers. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's tough because, I mean, you know, you have those you know expectations. It's kind of like what we talk about with, like, you know, Michigan football and even – I mean, no, I mean, I kind of mentioned about Notre Dame football and you got on me about it, but just the fact that they can't get out of their own way because of the history. I mean, Michigan football and, and IU basketball are probably an apt comparison. Yeah, they're, because, they're more applicable. I mean, at least Notre Dame is up in the conversation every year. Right. Um, are, they, but, are they the tier of Alabama? No, but – they're up in the conversation. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's just tough because you have those expectations, but it's just not been, I mean, no, no, it's no, no, been, no. The, like I said, the fan base has those expectations, right. national media, local, oh, maybe some local media, uh, Jeff Rabjohns, but um, you know, they don't have those same expectations that IU fans do every year. They come in and they go to this, that midnight badness where the players play against each other and they all look really good because, well, when you play bad against bad, you look good and um they get blinders on yeah and then they get into the gauntlet of the big 10 i mean yeah i'm gonna look really good as a basketball team against the indiana deaf and hard of hearing schools you know or michigan industrial technology you know i'm gonna look real good against them but when it comes to playing i mean yeah they beat in iowa i'll give them that but when it comes to like you know going up against the big boys this isn't this isn't a Tom Crane team anymore. The, you know, Christian Watford's not walking through that door. Victor Oladipo's not coming through. Cody Zeller's not coming through. Those were good teams. Those were legitimate teams. You, but, I wonder. I wonder if IU like regrets getting rid of Tom Crane. I I, oh, I, I, I guarantee they do. Yeah, I guarantee uh, they they regret because he's having success now down in Georgia. I mean, he had to he has to build it back up. He's got to build right. that success, but he, it's pointing. He's got the arrow pointed in the right direction down there. Well, and I mean, and look at Tom. I mean, as much as you want to hate on Tom Crean, Tom Crean <clears throat> was a coach that could get the most out of his players, and he he knew how to develop his players. He also knew how to put his play use utilize his players to their fullest capabilities. Archie has no idea. I mean, it is such a discombobulated offensive mess. When you watch them play, they, I mean, there, and there's zero development. It seems like, I mean, trace that J trace Davis Jackson is a good player, but he hasn't taken that next step that you would expect a player to take from a freshman year. I mean, he's taken a step from a freshman year to a sophomore year, just from experience alone, but he hasn't taken that step to be that potential NBA lottery pick that a lot of people projected him to be. And then you got five-star point guard Christian Lander down there who was convinced who he and Archie came together and said yeah let's go ahead and forego your senior year of high school because you, you know you're you, you're eligible to graduate early academically so let's get you into IU and we'll get you going that has been a train wreck an absolute train wreck probably derailed the poor kid's career at this point the way it's been going on what's been going on down there with him and it's it's starting to now work against them I mean, for a while there, you know, Archie was coming off of from, from Dayton that looked really good. You know, he had a lot of good players there. He got him, you know, deep into the tournament. He was nice and shiny. Well, now it's starting to – that shine is rubbed off, and you're now starting to see that as far as recruiting goes. I mean, 
when Purdue is able to go down into Sellersburg, Indiana, and IU down in the middle of the heart of IU country and grab who a player that is probably going to be the Gator, the he was the reigning Gatorade player of the year and probably going to be Mr. Basketball from that area that you know there's you know things are wrong. I mean, obviously this kid wasn't a huge IU fan to begin with, but nonetheless, to for that to happen, the the arrow is not pointed in the right direction for IU basketball. Well, hey, just uh, you know, yeah, it's it's crazy to think about it. Um, <clears throat> to about them being able to do that, and yeah, it's just uh, it's just been wild. Uh, moving on now to uh, the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, you know, our last team we're going to kind of talk about here. Um, they are 13 and eight, sixth in the Big Ten. Uh, they are projected as a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. They have won six of their last nine games. The remaining schedule is Michigan State at Nebraska, at Penn State. Then they have home games against number 21, Wisconsin and Indiana. Uh, Trevion Williams has been a big factor this season for them 16 points, 10 rebounds per game. Sasha Stefanovic. Uh, 10 points 40 uh, in a 43% three point shooting uh, for him as well. So <clears throat> looking at their remaining schedule, you know, they've got, um, you know, five games left on the schedule. And I, I really want to say they're going to win all five, but I'm just a little bit, you know, yeah, I'm a little bit, you know, gun shy on that. So I think they'll go four and one down the stretch. I think they'll finish at 17 to nine. Um, and so, you know, I'm really excited to see what they can do. Cause I think they can have, um, a really good end of the season. I think they can have a really good Big Ten tournament, um, you know, as well. Um, they are, you know, the only problem is, you know, the teams in front of them in the Big Ten are really, really good. Um, and they're just, you know, you know, they, they've been solid this year and they've been good. But I don't know, you know, if they can contest with some of that talent at the top. I mean, there's right now there's two. Um, you know, Big Ten teams projected to be number one overall seeds in the tournament. So, um, you know, that just shows you how strong the Big Ten has been this season. Um, so, you know, you look at kind of realistic expectations for the postseason. Um, I think their ceiling is the Sweet 16. Um, I think they can make some noise um, in the Big Ten tournament um, and they could wind up with a five seed. Um, and then I think from that point, they could potentially, you know, make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Obviously, it's kind of tough to project that because you don't know who they're going against. If they get two really, you know, easy games, theoretically, in the first, you know, a couple of weekends or the first couple of games, then, yeah, that, you know, that would bode well for them. But obviously, if they get put up, you know, against some really tough matchups, that could go the opposite way. But I think, you know, they're, I think they can make some hay uh, in the Big Ten tournament. And I think that they can uh, have a pretty good showing uh, once they get to the NCAA tournament as well. Yeah, um, you know, this Purdue team's a tough one to figure out. But at the same time, it's because there's they are young. I mean, look, four players, four freshmen are essentially starting. No, no, uh, three freshmen are starting. Four of their five freshmen have been named Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Uh, and I think a couple of them multiple times. Jaden Ivey I know multiple times. Um, so if you, when you look at that, the future is very bright for Purdue. What a lot of Purdue people will tell you is that this team is a, is ahead of schedule. You know, they expected another year of struggle, like potentially missing out on the NCAA tournament because of how young they were. Um, I didn't think they were going to miss the NCAA tournament, but I didn't think also that we would see the success. I thought, you know, you know, I think, honestly, I think Purdue is probably right where they, they, I projected them to be when I looked at this season. 
you know, right around the six. I knew they were going to be higher than what the, the media put them at originally. The media put them at like eight or nine. I think ultimately they still end up being higher. Um, they just haven't played a game in a while. So with all the games that have been moving around, around the teams winning and losing around them, that's bumped them back down to six. But, I mean, they've been as high as four. And I think the, I think five is about as high as they go. Fourth, potentially in the Big Ten, would be nice because I would get them, a, you know, I think it gets them the double buy in the um, Big Ten tournament. So that, that would be nice. But, you know, this team is um, – I love how the freshmen are stepping up and playing. Um, obviously, you would like to see some more consistency out of players like Brandon Newman and Jaden Ivey. But at the same time, they're freshmen. I mean, yeah, Brandon Newman's a redshirt freshman, but still, nonetheless, they're both freshmen. And the fact that they're playing at such a high level already is a good sign for the future. Yeah, I agree. The ceiling is definitely the Sweet 16. Um, I, I honestly believe this is this is a second weekend team in the NCAA tournament. Um, mostly because they're going to go. I think they they just they play with you know, a chip on their shoulder. Not really. I guess that, no, I can't say that. They, they don't play, they don't play scared. You know, they act like they, they know they belong and um, they're, they're proving it. Now, I mean, obviously they're not going to win the big 10 surprise anybody. I think looking at the remaining schedule that you get a win against Michigan state, hopefully you get a win against Nebraska, who knows um, if Nebraska will play, but I think you get a win against Nebraska think you get a uh, going to Penn State's always tough that one is a toss-up I think you get a win against Wisconsin and you get a win against Indiana so let's see one two three four I'll say they go at best I mean at best four and one and at worst three and two to be honest now they've had they have been struggling here as of late uh, they've been very inconsistent recently. So they, I think that that will that will get better because Sasha Stefanovich was out for a while with COVID and he's still getting his legs back underneath him from, from that. So, you know, I think this team is going to push being a 20-win team. Um, and I think that could be a good goal for them, to be honest. Uh, but I see them, you know, at least making it to Saturday of the Big Ten tournament and then uh, making it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, setting yeah. them up very nicely for their future. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's future. Is, I mean, the, the, the future for this team is a final four, to be honest, especially with what they have coming in. you know, next year they have the top two players in the state of Indiana, Caleb first and uh, Trey Kaufman Ray, uh, the guy I was mentioning from um, uh, Sellersburg. Um, so those are two big names. And then the following year, another player from home from Homestead, Fletcher Lawyer, who's just been absolutely lighting it up. Um, and a point guard from Philadelphia who hasn't gotten to play too much yet this year because of COVID. But the future is very, very bright for this team. Yeah, I, um, real quick before we transition um, over to the Pacers, I, did, I, for, I remembered – I started to go with a point at the end of when we were talking about IU, and then I forgot it, so I just went on to Purdue. Um, it's also – it tells you all you need to know about <clears throat> Archie Miller. I mean, you know, again, just, you know, not living up to the expectations. When Dayton, like, 
shortly after he's gone is like weren't they like number like one or like up like going for a oh, one seed year. in the tournament? Yeah, been, last year. the NCAA tournament happened last year, that was a final four team. Right. So pretty wild. And yeah, the I, national I, player of the year, Obi Toppin. <laughs> right. Now, I, did Archie recruit those guys? I, I can't remember if Archie I don't recruited know. those guys. But, I mean, even if he recruited <clears> those guys, <throat> those guys got developed by the by the new coach. Right. So, so yeah, yeah, and I'm with you. I think Purdue's going to have a really good uh, a postseason run. I think the, the future is bright. A good um, postseason run for the expectations for this season. For you sure. Know, obviously, a good postseason run is winning the national championship or making the final four. But for this team, making the Sweet 16 would be a phenomenal. Well, I mean – you're right, much. especially because that, that, that would be like that would be that's super ahead of schedule. I, you know, the, with how young they are, just making the Sweet Sixteen would be like that would be great, in my opinion. Well, I mean, because we I know talked- I know Purdue fans would be very disappointed because we'd probably play the Sweet Sixteen and lose a heartbreaker, right? In that game, in typical Purdue fashion. But this team, this is very reminiscent for me of the Baby Boilers. You know, they made it to – they finally made, they busted through. They got to the Sweet 16, and they got hosed by um, UConn at the time when they had Hashim Thabit. And, um, you know, it felt like, oh, my gosh, we're never going to be able to get past the Sweet 16. And then they never did, but for other reasons, right. and because they weren't good enough. But, you know – I, I feel like for them to get to the Sweet 16, that would be a huge, huge validation of this team's talent and where they are going for the future. Well, before we wrap up tonight, um, we did want to take a little bit of a look here at the Indiana Pacers. Um, and I kind of want to look back because uh, we're now about a month or so removed uh, from the Victor Oladipo trade. Now, granted, can't be super harsh about it because, I mean, you know, Victor Oladipo, probably the right move for the long term, you know, in the long run as far as getting rid of him. And then, of course, you know, you know, Karis LeVert ends up having, you know, you know, having, you know, cancer. So we have to, you know, so obviously, you know, his health is, is first, you know, and, and hopefully he has, you know, a speedy recovery and, and gets better. Um, so it was determined that it was cancer. I just know it was a mass. Oh, it was a mass. I, I thought it was. Maybe I'm wrong there. But, yeah, a mass on his kidney. Um and so, obviously, he's he's been out due to that. So you can't really say, oh, it's a lost trade because we haven't really even seen Karis LeVert at all. But um, you know, the Pacers were seven and four when the trade happened. They're fourteen and three now. Um, Oladipo was averaging twenty points per game, and uh, you know, TJ Warren, who's only played four games, um, averaged uh, about sixteen points per game. So it's been a rough go of it for the Indiana Pacers. Um, as we're recording the podcast, they're tied with the Bulls. Um, so they could go back down to 500 tonight. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a rough go of it for the Pacers. Um, and, but, well, like I said, I can't really say whether or not the trade's good or bad because we haven't seen, you know, our side of it yet. But um, it has been a rough go of it so far for the Pacers as we get closer to the end of the first half. Yeah, I mean, this team is – I think they're playing as well as they can right now considering – I mean, yeah, they got Jeremy Lamb back, but, you know, it's he's still trying to – recover from a knee injury um you don't have tj warren um, i mean my biggest fear about the pacers right now is because of these injuries and trying to weather the, the storm essentially is that they are going to wear players down players like malcolm brogdon at a, i'm not too i'm not as concerned about him but i am more concerned about 
the wear and tear and mint from the minutes being put on uh, Demonta Sabonis. That that concerns me for the future of the for the rest of the season. Um, I still think this Pacers team. I don't know. It all depends on health. There's like they said, uh, Karis Levert is actually pretty close. He's to getting cleared for contact. To I mean, right now he's right now he's essentially recovering from surgery of getting the mass removed from his kidney. I think they removed the kidney to be honest. But he's you know so he's recovering from surgery and they I don't I've never heard if it was cancerous or not. Um, but as far as I know, it was just he's recovering from that surgery. Right and should be unique to start resuming uh he and shooting or doing shoot arounds and painting and some and stuff. need tj he's still pretty far off on that rumble of a Miles Turner trade coming soon, whether that be potentially to Boston. Boston's looking at Boston's now saying, "Ooh, we kind of wish we would have traded for Miles Turner with how good he's playing," and that's exactly what we need to be successful right now. The other one that's being floated around is uh, Turner and Jeremy Lamb, and I think Doug McDermott to the Golden State Warriors for Clay Thompson. A move like that would essentially be saying the Pacers are shutting it down for the year with Thompson being recovering from an injury as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to trade three healthy players for one. Oh, and I think they also get, I think like, there was another player thrown in there to come back to the Pacers. Um, Step three. No, it was, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I want to say Kelly Oubre, but it wasn't Kelly Oubre. It was um, Steph Curry. We're getting Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. For... <laughs> you know, uh, it, was a, it was a lower level player, a depth piece um, right. to make the salary work. But, um, you know, so there, there are rumblings out there that the Pacers could be making moves again, which I don't, I don't at the way things are going right now, I'm 50-50 on. You know, if Miles Turner can keep up his defensive play, because what he can do defensively um, covers up the defensive weaknesses of Sabonis. But what Sabonis can do offensively kind of covers up the weaknesses offensively of Miles Turner. Right. Now, you talked about the Pacers possibly, you know, if they do make, I mean, obviously, if they make that trade, they would be officially shutting it down. But no, the wild, I don't know if I, 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 that would just kind of have that feel. Of- well, right. But the wild, the wild thing about that is, you know, as we kind of look for what we can expect the rest of the first half is like, you know, they're right now sitting at fourth in the, the East still. And they're technically just, you know, four games back of, uh, of the one seed. Now, we don't expect them to be a one seed, but not by any means. But I mean, the fact of the matter is they're still, you know, it, it hasn't, they've been able to kind of, you know, maintain course. Um, you know, it's kind of like how we looked at, you know, the end of, you know, I can't remember if we just, you know, kind of made this point before the bubble or like once the bubble started or whatever, as far as like, Hey, if the Pacers can just kind of, I think it was like when we were expecting Oladipo to get back, it's like the Pacers, um, you know, kind of ride the ship and just stay, you know, you know, still, you know, remain around that 500 point 
Uh, I think they'll be fine come the second half of the season once they get everybody back fully healthy. Um, you know, at the bare minimum, T.J. Warren, you know, and Jeremy Lamb back at, at full force, hopefully. Right now, there is no timetable for Warren's return, uh, but you'd like to think it might be after the All-Star break at, at least. I don't know. Um, but um, you're hoping at least. Um, but right now, I mean, the Pacers are fourth uh, in the Eastern Conference, um, you know, and everybody else. I mean, you know, they are a bad – you're also a bad week from being completely out. I mean, the Raptors right now are eighth, and they're 12 and 15, six games out. So, I mean, you're a bad week from being potentially out of the playoff mix, but I guess the point here is, is they're still obviously in it. The, the Oladipo trade didn't cripple them so badly that they're now, you know – barely in or out of the playoff picture and it's still early as well but I think if they can just kind of maintain course and be in a good position once they get some of those players back I think they'll be in good shape for the second half to still you know maintain that kind of you know middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference playoff energy that we kind of projected them to be at yeah I agree I think this I mean this team is still a playoff team um unless you know they start making uh, make big trades or anything that right. are geared more towards the future I mean, this they're not winning a championship this year. I'll just say that. I didn't expect them to. Uh, but overall, I mean, it is nice to see that the, you know, the Pacers haven't gone out and had to buy their own big three. They're building it. And I think you know, they're going through some growing pains right now with a new coach. I mean, they got off to such a hot start. And we're all like, oh, my gosh, this team is legit. You know, but now they've come back down to earth and, you know, they, they got some things they have to battle through. And, you know, this is a first year head coach. He's got to battle through those things as well and figure out how best to battle through those. And, you know, there's going to be growing pains on both sides. And that, that's not totally unexpected. So I kind of feel like the, anything that they can do successfully this year is a positive, is a plus. It's next year and the following year where you're going to see the payoff for um, the struggles they may go through this year. Yeah. Very, I'm typical, with... very, very typical of what we've also seen from Purdue. What right. I just said, you know, the, fu- the future is bright. Anything now is just gravy. I agree. Well, yeah, that I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm with you there. Uh, well, that will do it here for the crash course podcast. Thank you guys all um, for hanging out. Remember, you can follow us on uh, Facebook, Crash Course Podcast. Uh, go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe over there. Uh, we're at 23 subscribers now. So, hey, be, wow. you know, be, 20, be number 25. Be number 50. Uh, you know, blow that page up. We're really excited to get that going. Especially If we get 25 subscribers, actually, if we get 30 subscribers, I will send a, a personalized video message uh, with whatever they want me to say, sing, anything like that to the 30th <laughs> subscriber. I'm here for it. You, you basically get your B Scott cameo if you're the 30th, uh, you're the 30th subscriber over there. We do have a new episode of the MCT podcast coming out uh, this weekend as well, so make sure you're on the lookout for that. That's on the YouTube channel. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Crash Course FM. Um, and remember uh, that you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can hear the Crash Course podcast. Uh, and also remember, we record every Monday, twitch.tv slash 3C Media. So make sure you, ha- uh, you hit us up over there. And B. Scott, where can they find you? Find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Scott 87. 
Well, thank you guys all for watching tonight. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you guys all for listening as well on the uh, audio side of things. We'll be back next week with another podcast. But until then, have a good one, everybody.